Jesus House in Pursuit of God Discovering Purpose Maximizing Potential Impacting Lives This message is being brought to you from Jesus House London God bless you Father, we just want to thank you for your word. Uh, thank you for this season when the word became flesh, O oh God, and came and dwelt with us 2,000 years ago. Uh, we are grateful, Father, for we are beneficiaries of that decision of heaven to visit the earth. Today, let your word come alive, Heavenly Father, and let it do what you have purposed that it should do. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Amen. Well, today I'm going to talk about one of the strangest things that happened um, to the nation of Israel on their journey into the promised land. Of course, we're still on the journey, um, and we're learning life lessons from the journey. Um, it centers around a bronze serpent. If you turn in your Bibles to Numbers 21, I'll read verses 7, verses 4 to verse 4 to 9. Verse 4 to verse 9, Numbers 21. Then they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom, and the soul of the people became very discouraged on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and our soul loathes this worthless bread. So the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people and they bit the people and many of the people of Israel died. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, we have sinned for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Mo Moses prayed for the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole and it shall be that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and put it on a pole. And so it was, if a serpent had bitten anyone, when he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. It's a very graphic picture. This bronze serpent that Moses made. Um, a snake wrapped around a bronze, a bronze pole. It's, it's interesting that this is the symbol that medicine has used historically uh, to describe what they do. It's interesting that the, the, that symbol that medicine uses historically anywhere in the world actually comes from this story in the Bible. The children of Israel, again, rebelled against God. This time, it wasn't just against Moses. It was against God and against Moses. And they rebelled because they were discouraged um, on this journey. They were, they were just tired. But then, this time, God's judgment was immediate and fierce. Fiery serpents were released into the camp. And as these fiery serpents bit them, so many died. When the people realized that people were dying left, right, and center, they rushed to Moses. They repented. We've seen, they said, we repent. 
we spoke against you and spoke against God. And then they appealed to Moses, pray for us that God will take these serpents away. And Moses did that. Moses prayed. Now, God didn't take the serpents away, but God gave Moses, uh, told him what to do that would stop the serpents from biting them. He says, make, take a pole and mold a bronze serpent, serpent around the pole and lift that pole up. When anyone looks at the bronze serpent on that pole, the snakes will stop biting them. Very strange story, but full of so many things, rich information that can help us in our day-to-day -day life. Number one, the Bible says they were discouraged on the way. Now, why were they discouraged? Because they've been traveling for quite a while. It wasn't just the length of the journey. It was where they arrived and the time they arrived there. This particular leg of the journey was being undertaken in the sixth month of their year. The sixth month was the height of the hot season. It was unbearably hot. And you know, if you've ever been to the desert, any desert, and if you've ever been to the desert in, the middle, in any desert in the Middle East, you know how hot. Nobody goes out during the day because it is so hot. So it was unbearably hot. And then the terrain was stony and barren and, and was subject to frequent sandstorms. These were the conditions in which they had to travel. They were tired already from the length of the journey. The, the terrain was, was inhospitable, hot. The ground was difficult to tread on. It was full of stones. It was barren. There were no shades for them to hide in. And then constantly this sand, the wind was whipping up these sandstorms. It was enough to discourage anybody. But then it was even worse. Because there was a direct route that they could have gone through, but that would have meant going across the land of, of the Edomites. But then the Edomites had refused them passage across their land. So they, as you read in the, in the Bible, they had to literally circumvent, had to go round the land of the Edomites. And part of going round the land meant that they turned back on themselves. So it was as if they were going away from Canaan, the promised land, as opposed to going towards Canaan. It was depressing and discouraging. And you know, that happens to any one of us in this journey of life. There are times when the going is hard, the going is difficult, the climate is inhospitable, the terrain is, is challenging. There are times when it seems like we are turning back on ourselves instead of heading towards that goal, that dream, um, that, 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 that destination that we want to reach. There are times when it can be difficult. I can imagine, especially in this season, um, a lone parent just trying to cope with these, cho these children. It can be difficult. I can imagine um, someone who was married, but then maybe the marriage has collapsed and you find yourself alone. I can imagine where there were two income earners in the family, one person has lost the job, or even worse, both have lost their jobs. The business has been challenged. It can be tough, this journey of life. I can imagine when you're looking forward to a promise, but then it looks like that promise has moved further away. You're waiting on God for something. It 
can sometimes be difficult, even discouraging. And believe me, sometimes the shadow of depression wants to come upon you. That's what happened to the children of Israel. Number two, when that happens in life, as it does happen for any of these reasons that I've mentioned or others I haven't mentioned, where the going gets difficult, the terrain is challenging, we're facing, they faced frequent sandstorms, sand but we're facing other kinds of storms. We're waiting on God for something. It looks like the promise is receding. What do you do when a part of the journey of life is difficult? Number two. What do you do? You have two choices. We can go the route of the children of Israel. We can complain, we can murmur, we can blame others, and we can even choose to blame God. And that's a choice. When we are faced with those circumstances, we can do that. God, where are you? God, why haven't you? you know, and then we look for people to blame. We complain, we murmur, we, we get a negative disposition. People don't want to be around us because we, are, we have become bitter, you know. Uh, bitter words come out of our, our, our mouths, you know. We are constantly complaining, constantly critical. We can become like that. And sadly, some do become like that. Or we can choose the second option. We can decide we will trust you, God, irrespective of these circumstances, because these circumstances don't define who you are. We can decide we will be thankful to you, God, for what you have done. They could have been thankful that, God, you brought us through the Red Sea. You brought water out of the rock. You took us through hostile tribes. We are still on this journey. We are, the promised land is getting closer. We can be thankful for what God has done. We can be thankful for where we are, we can look to God for deliverance. We can choose to praise God, to declare his goodness even in these challenging times. But they chose to complain. It's a choice. We will go through patches in life that are like this. It's par for the course. It is a part of life. You must make up your mind that when I go through those patches, I am going to take the second option. Listen to their own option, Numbers 21, verse 5. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food, no water, and our soul loathes this worthless bread. What they called worthless bread is the, is the manna that had been keeping them alive. Let's be careful so that we don't disdain the blessings of God. We don't take for granted the blessings of God. Let's constantly be thankful. At a time like this, there is too much to be thankful for. For life itself, that's enough reason to just glorify God and praise God for the precious gift of life. Number three, even in their state, the children of Israel, however, knew that prayer works. They understood that We've blown it, but we can return to God in the place of prayer. The Bible says in verse 7, Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned. They, they understood repentance, which most of the church does not understand. They said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed 
for the people. You know, they understood what we say every time from this pulpit, what I believe in the core of my being, that we serve a God who answers prayers. It is God's default mode, my brother, my sister. It is his default mode to answer prayers. There are too many scriptures, too many. Every day I come across a new one in the Psalms that points to the fact that God answers prayers. My brother, don't give up in prayer. Don't let the enemy tell you is, 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 is effort that is wasted. Don't let the enemy tell you, my sister, that it is futile. No, God answers prayers. Too many scriptures. The golden rule of prayer, Matthew 7 verse 7 says, says ask and you shall receive. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door shall be opened unto you. Maybe it is progressive. So when you're asking and it's not happening, then you press in with seeking. It's not happening. Then you start knocking and you pound on that door until heaven responds. It's the golden rule of prayer. Prayer works. James 5 verse 16 that scripture that we all love about prayer. It says the latter part of it, the effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Uh, I like the New, New Living Translation. It says the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Your prayer as long as you are righteous. And that righteousness is not one that we have to earn in this dispensation. They had to earn it. We don't have to earn it. It's a righteousness that we receive because of who we are in Christ. He makes us right. And as long as we receive him, he makes us right before God. He gives us right standing um, another way to see it is that he gives us access. That's why the Bible paints that graphic picture at his death of the, the curtain that prevented others from coming into his very presence, the Holy of Holies. The curtain around the place where his presence resided, where the ark was in the Holy of Holies, in a dramatic fashion as he breathed his last on the cross, this curtain that was, that was we are told, fit thick and that was some 49 feet I think they said in height something that you would have to literally use probably some sharp instrument to cut through on its own was torn into to signify that no longer do you need a representative to go on your behalf before God. That because of the death of Jesus, because of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and aren't we celebrating him this season? You can now go on your own. You are made right by the blood of Jesus Christ. Now the children of Israel didn't have that privilege. They knew that they were not right. That's why they went to Moses. They needed somebody who could appeal on their behalf. You and I don't need anybody. You don't need a pastor. You don't need a bishop. You don't need a vicar. You don't need an overseer. That's old religion. We can come alongside you and pray with you. We can pray, pray of course, pray for you. But frankly, you can go into that holy of holies, stand before the throne of grace, and receive grace yourself. You can do that yourself. That's the beauty of a New, New Testament dispensation and of the grace of God that is possible out on you but they didn't have that so they had to go to Moses and appeal to him 
Because they knew that Moses was right with God. Now you are right by grace. You are right because Christ has made you right. And you know, there's something about the prayer of the person who is righteous that God just simply can't. He just has to respond. Listen to what the Bible says. Proverbs 15 verse 8. It says, The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is his delight. You know, because I see things in a pictorial sense, my mind is very graphic, I get this picture of God sitting on his throne in heaven and his eyes are roaming the earth looking for those who are upright. And our uprightness is not because of our works. It's because of the blood of Jesus. So guess what? He's looking for those who are marked with the blood of Jesus for their prayers. And, and he's sitting there lapping up the prayers, delighted in the prayers, excited about the prayers. He can't wait to answer those prayers. That's the picture the Bible paints about God. And so we just stay in that place of prayer. We have what they didn't have. They had to go to Moses to say, Moses, pray for us. Number four, their rebellion, their murmuring, their complaining brought the judgment of God. It was fierce, it was severe. Verse six says, the Lord himself sent fiery serpents among the people and they bit the people and many of the people of Israel died. You know, this puts into stark contrast the dispensation of grace that we are in. Because it's not like the children of Israel did things that we don't do. But thankfully, because our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ has borne our sin upon himself, we have the scepter of grace extended to us. We have favor that is unmerited. We have the forgiveness of our sins as a result of what Jesus has done for us. Amen. Romans 6 verses 1 and 2 um, says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? I mean, because we have that grace, do we continue to sin? And Paul answers it, certainly not. He says, because how shall we who have died to sin live any longer in it? We receive Christ into our life. The old man is dead once Christ comes in. We can't sin habitually. It is impossible. If someone is in habitual sin, the, person's, the, 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 the foundation of the person's walk with God must be questioned. I'm not saying that we can't fall into sin because you see, the old man dies, but the flesh can still be alive and that needs to be crucified daily. That's how we eventually get away from it com completely. The old man lives in habitual sin. It's his lifestyle. It's what he eats. It's what he drinks. It is who he is. When we give our lives to Christ genuinely, we accept Jesus as Lord and Savior, that old man 
dies. We are no longer married to him. We start a new journey with Christ, but we still have the flesh to deal with. And that one, we crucify that part of our lives daily. It's the flesh that occasionally can lead you to fall into sin. But the habitual sin, where it is your lifestyle, it's planned, it's premeditated, it's how you live. If that is your lifestyle, I would question, I would ask you to take a look at the foundation of your faith because the Bible makes clear that a child of God can't live in habitual sin. Number five, the bronze serpent. Verses eight and nine. Then the Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent, set it on a pole, it shall be that everyone who's bitten, when he looks at it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and put it on a pole. And so it was. If a serpent had bitten anyone, when he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. Now, this is an amazing thing. Firstly, a serpent of all creatures was the symbol that brought healing. And God directed it. The picture of evil, the serpent, the, 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 the same uh, animal that Satan got into and tempted our ancestors till they ate us out of our inheritance in the beginning in the book of Genesis, Genesis the third chapter. That same picture of evil was what God told, God himself told Moses to Take a, a picture of that symbol of evil, put it on a bronze pole, and lift it up. And in a miraculous way, as the people looked to that picture, that bronze serpent on the pole, the snakes stopped biting them. And it even gets more interesting, because in John the third chapter, verses 14 and 15, Jesus himself likens himself. Now, hear this. He likens himself, compares himself to this bronze serpent that was lifted up. Listen to what the Bible says. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so, Jesus says, must the Son of Man himself be lifted up that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. What is the connection between Jesus on the cross, our Lord and Savior Jesus, and a bronze serpent on a pole? Well, there are three things quickly. Number one is the foolishness of the miracle. It was something that an intellectual or intelligent mind would not be able to comprehend. The snakes are biting you. Run away from the snakes if you can. Kill the snakes if you can. But to stand there and look at a bronze serpent on a pole and to believe that that will do something to snakes that are biting you, foolish. But as they obeyed the foolish instruction, to their amazement, just believing what they had been told, that if you look at it, the snakes will stop biting you. As they obeyed believing, the snakes 
literally just started receding just because they did what was foolish. In a sense, it's the same with the cross. It is foolishness to those who don't believe that our salvation can be guaranteed by the death of our Savior. Now, your Savior should stay alive to save you. Your king should sit on a throne and rule. What kind of a king comes and doesn't even defend himself and is crucified with common criminals? Foolishness. But to those of us who believe the power of God unto salvation. And so they looked at the bronze serpent and believed the foolishness. We look at the cross and we believe the foolishness of the cross. And that foolishness is what has saved me, rescued me from the pits of hell, from going into the pits of hell, rescued me from some dark places, saved you. That foolishness is what assures us in the midst of turbulence around us. That foolishness is what guarantees our future and eternity with God. That's number one connection. Number two connection. Bronze in the Bible is symbolic of judgment. A serpent, of course, is symbolic of evil, like we mentioned. And so as the bronze serpent is lifted up, it is symbolic of judgment. The judgment the children of Israel faced, that bronze serpent symbolic of delivering them by a judgment in terms of the symbolic nature of the serpent. For if bronze is judgment and evil is wrapped around the judgment, it's a clear picture that evil has been judged. And because evil has been judged, the people are free from the effects of evil, the fiery serpents biting them. It's the same on the cross. Jesus takes on all the sin of mankind and he is judged for that sin. The wrath of God is poured out on him and he takes it upon himself so that you and I can be free. The bronze serpent was prefiguring a time that would come when something similar will happen on a hill far away, on an old rugged cross, our Lord and Savior would hang and take on the judgment of heaven for the wages of sin is death. So he took on the wages of our sins that you and I might be free in much the same way that the, the, the symbolic judgment on the serpent caused freedom to come to the children of Israel. Number three, this is, this is, of course, concerning the bronze serpent. Just by trusting in the bronze serpent, they were saved. Just trust in it. Moses told them, look to it. They said, we will look, we believe. In the same way, just trust in the finished work of Calvary. Trust in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and we are saved. You don't need to do anything. They didn't need to do anything. That's what sets the Christian faith apart from any other faith. I could never have joined any other faith. 
because I don't have what it takes to do what they require to be right with their gods. I don't have it. I found a faith that says don't do anything, just believe. I said, I can do that one. It's just to believe. I said, I believe. And I believed from the bottom of my heart. And as a result of me believing, not doing anything, not earning it, not by my works, not by my, my, my goodness, just by believing, I was made right with my God. Why would I join any other faith? When I can find one that says all the work has been done for you at the cross, you just believe. And lastly, number six, and this is the danger. Now, you won't believe what happened. After that amazing experience where the bronze serpent brought them deliverance, guess what they did? They took the bronze serpent and now started to worship the serpent itself. And isn't that the danger? They gave it a name, Nehushtan. It became like a god to them. And isn't that the danger? That God does amazing things in our lives. But instead of worshipping the God, we create a whole system of rules and regulations and rituals and we start to worship the things or the people. God blesses us with people. But then we start define the human beings. If there's one thing I hate, it is for people to try to deify me, to make it seem like I am different from everybody. No, I have my struggles, I have my failings, I have my frailties, I have my moments. It is, I'm just a regular guy who happens to have been graced and anointed to do a work. But believe me, a regular guy with regular issues. Because the moment you start to believe what people say about you and believe your own press, you start to become some sort of nehushtan. Look at what the Bible says in, in 2 Kings 18 verse 4. It says this about the young king Hezekiah. I think it assumed the, tr the throne at 25. He says, he removed the high places and broke the sacred spillers, cut down the wooden image, and broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. For until those days, the children of Israel burned incense to it and called it Nehushtan. Can you beat that? They decided that this thing that worked we make it an idol. We burn incense to it. It will continue to deliver us. And human nature tends to be like that. People say, what, what, what psalm did you use? What they're saying is, I don't need the hassle of trying to find out from God what he wants me to say. Can you give me a formula? Give me an equation. And there are loads of so-called ministries that are founded on equations and formulas instead of teaching people how to enter a dynamic, growing, life-giving, throbbing relationship with Jesus and the Holy Spirit for yourself. They want somebody to give them a formula. They worship the formula, the equation, the, the method instead of getting to worship 
the God, the giver. The gifts become the idols. They took the bronze serpent and made it into an idol and gave it a name, Nehushtan. And it's very easy for us. We can, we can take a good song because we sang it once and the presence of God came twice. The presence of God came three times. The presence of God came every time now we're looking for the presence of God. We imagine it must be that song. What if God doesn't want to hear that song on that day? But you didn't bother to ask because maybe we don't have that relationship where we can ask him. It's very easy to create nehushtans out of good things. But thank God for the Hezekiahs who decided we will not have Nehushtan anymore and he broke it to pieces. Hallelujah. The bronze serpent. This season, that's who we, that's who we celebrate. The bronze serpent was lifted up. Jesus says the same way that that bronze serpent was lifted up. He says in John the, 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 the 14th, I want to read that scripture to you. He says, the same way that it was lifted up, if you lift me up and men look to me, then I will save them. Amen? Hallelujah. Father, we just want to thank you and bless you. We glorify your name. We exalt you, O God. We give you praise, we give you glory. Thank you, Heavenly Father. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so, Jesus says, must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. As we end this morning, what am I doing as I end? Lifting up the Son of Man. And asking if there's anyone out there who hasn't declared their belief in him. The graphic picture of that bronze serpent does more than any preaching I can do in painting a picture of what happens when we look to the bronze serpent. In our case, look to Jesus, believe in him. You, we don't have to fight the enemies. He be, the battle belongs to him. We believe in him the battle belongs to him. And so if there's anyone out there, he's lifted up now before you. That's what this service has done. You haven't received him as Lord and Savior. This Christmas season, as we thank God for the visitation that took place 2,000 years ago that brought him to this earth, would you like to accept him into your life? Let him deal with all the fiery serpents in whatever guises they come just simply because you believe in him. You've become a child of God. If you would, why don't you just say this prayer with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for this season that reminds us of your son Jesus and how he came to this earth for us. Today, I open up my heart and I receive him as my Lord and Savior. I look to him and declare my belief in him as my Lord and Savior.
give me the grace, favor that is unmerited, to live a life that is pleasing to you. I commit to turning away from anything that is displeasing to you in my life as I embrace a life of obedience to you. By this prayer, Lord, I declare that I am now a child of yours, born again into your family this day in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Well, welcome to God's family. It's as simple as that. That's why I'm a Christian. I looked around, I thought I can't measure up to all these high standards. This one has been made easy for me. All I have to do is believe and confess with my mouth. And that's what you've done. So you are a child of God. Hallelujah.